I don't know if any of you are baseball fans, but this is the time of year where uh, uh, the playoffs are happening and <laughs> it's either great sadness <laughs> or wonderful, exhilarating uh, happiness. But I don't know if any of you are Mariners fans, but uh, you probably saw some games, maybe you caught a few of them. Um, <laughs> talk about hopeless in some situations. There were three of them, actually, for example, and uh, Julie probably can name the players and the time situation and everything else, as she big old Mariners fan. But there was one game on September 11th uh, that uh, the Mariners were leading 6-2 to two before the top of the ninth inning. And then uh, they found themselves looking at a 7-6 to six deficit. They were losing 7-6. to six. Uh, the other team scored five runs on the top of uh, uh, five runs on the top of the ninth, and so on the bottom of the ninth came up. The Mariners came up the bat. They hit one solo home run to tie it, and another solo home run to win it. And so, uh, and it was a pinch hit walk off home run. Someone came up. They replaced another batter to be able to uh, get this hit, and that also ended a 20-year drought of the playoffs. So think about the 20 years of hopelessness. Here we go again. We're not going to win. And then finally, boom, it happened. And, um, and all Mariners fans rejoiced. <laughs> They've had a few other instances like that, too, as well, of games that it's just like there's no hope. It's not going to happen. Just For instance, I think it was, uh, was it yesterday that they uh, played uh, in, a, in the wild card playoffs there, and they were down 8-1 to one in, the, uh, in the sixth inning. And eventually they built back up, and by the uh, top of the eighth, they, they scored four runs, and they, they tied the game. And then at the top of the ninth inning, where they were at bat, <clears throat> they took the lead, and then they won the game. Uh, now they get to play the Yankees. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, is that a game, as a sports fan, you look at a game and go, there's no hope. It's, it's not going to happen. But you've witnessed possibly some games that have turned around and you go, oh, wow, I guess it was going to turn out all right, if you're the fan of the winning team, of course. <laughs> but uh, have you ever lost all hope? Have you ever lost hope in situations and maybe people? You see what happens around you and you go, there's, there's nothing good's going to happen here. It's just all going down the tube. Has Pandora's box been opened up in your life, unleashing all kinds of chaos and only to leave the, the hope shut up inside that little box, imprisoned inside that box? Are, are you living that, right? Have you lived that before? Maybe, uh, maybe it's your health. You've lost all hope. You prayed that God would take care of the situation. Um, you've gone to the doctors. They don't know exactly what to do about it. That lump that you've discovered somewhere is actually not so malign, uh, benign, it's malignant. You wonder what's going to go on, what's happening, and, and, and maybe you lose hope during that time. Maybe it's someone else's health, and you've been praying, and you've been wondering if anything's going to change here, and the doctors will figure things out again. You might be losing hope in situations like that. Maybe it's a relationship that has been broken and you've lost all hope that it will ever be mended again. That person is just not reasonable. That person doesn't know how to come and, and resolve this conflict, and it's never going to happen, and you lose hope. Maybe it's because of unmet expectations in a relationship. 
And it could be a friendship. It could be, it could be within family. It could be a marriage. All these things coming together, you lose hope. Maybe it's employment, lack of employment. You've been looking for a job and hoping to find one, and then it just never happens, never comes around. Maybe it's uh, uh, being overwhelmed in your job, too much to do, and you need help, and no one's hiring other people to be able to come and help, and, and you have this heavy load that needs to be done at work. Maybe it's a, uh, an employment job, it, it's a dead-end job. You don't, you're not able to progress, you're not able to move forward with things. Maybe, maybe management is not allowing you to. And so you feel like you're at a dead-end job, dead job and it's just there's no hope going on there. <laughs> maybe you've lost hope in humanity. <laughs> when you look around the world, you see there's a lot going wrong. People who don't care at all about God, about God are, are, are thriving. And it seems like our culture is kind of rushing quickly toward dangerous places. <laughs> you just get on social media or Netflix or YouTube or any kind of thing that will bring that culture to your front door and you're confronted with many godless values. People talk about justice and equality, but it seems like they really mean justice only for some. And they're actually more likely looking for a revolution. And meanwhile, we see wars, we see disasters, and so much misery around us. And I throw in the no- November elections, and you have a mixed soup of anxiety and hopeless despair. You might have that hee-haw song going around in your mind right now as well, too. Uh, maybe, possibly. If you dwell on these things, though, maybe if you read or watch the news too much in every day, you, you could despair. What's next? Where's all, the, all this going to end up? God is the Lord, but maybe we wonder sometimes. What is God doing with this world? What's, what's happening? And then we turn to Isaiah and his account of the Lord's great glory. Back in, in chapter 9, he tells of a child to be born, a son, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. This promised one will sit on David's throne to govern in true justice. In Isaiah's time, maybe the people weren't so, so sure about the, that promise anymore. God said that great kings would come from David's house, but so many of them were so disappointing. And now you have cowardly Ahaz, who's just the, the latest one to show himself faithless and to fail to give any kind of leadership. But God's not done with the line of David. Instead of of another poor leader, God will raise up a king who is filled with his spirit. As Isaiah 11, verse 1 says, and Isaiah 11 is where we're going to camp out here today. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. It's interesting that Jesse is mentioned here and not David. God wants to remind everyone of the very humble beginnings of this kingship. David certainly wasn't born as a noble prince with a silver spoon stuck in his mouth, but as the youngest son of Farmer Jesse, raised in the country village of Bethlehem, trained as a shepherd. And like God, like, like God loves to do, he brought something great from this small beginning, and God would do it again. 
Listen to what's going to happen in, verse, in this first verse. From his roots as a branch will bear fruit. Isaiah likes the imagery of, of, uh, of, of, of the forest, it seems like, quite a bit. At the end of chapter 10, he says, Assyria will be cut down like a tall tree, lopped off, never to grow back. But Isaiah also said in chapter 6 that new life will come from Israel's burned out stump. So for Judah, a branch will grow as God restores what is broken. And God is in the business of doing that. The stem of Jesse and the branch of David don't look like much, but God will raise up a glorious king and savior. This broken world has great hope in the coming of, uh, of the root of, of Jesse. So let me share with you just a, three thoughts about this portion of Scripture. And hopefully we can find some good application in that as we look at this together. First of all, let's look at the Spirit who fills him. Look at the Spirit who fills him. If you take a quick look at verse 2 in Isaiah chapter 11, the word that probably jumps out to you is the Spirit. Isaiah says about the root of Jesse that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him in that, in that second verse. He'll bring, many, he'll bring to him many gifts of wisdom, understanding, and counsel. Not that the Lord had never given His Spirit before this. The Old Testament tells us about many people who received the Spirit so that they'd be ready to serve God. You think about Joseph of the Old Testament, a young man who had God's Spirit. Um, you think about those who were craftsmen of the, of the tabernacle, and they were equipped by the Spirit in this. The Spirit uh, moved among the judges as well, too. If you read through that book of the Bible, men like Othniel and, and even Samson, and kings, kings like David and prophets like Micah were blessed by the Spirit, and you could see His mighty work in them. The Spirit brings good wherever He goes, and it's only through the moving of the Holy Spirit that a person can be faithful and fruitful for God. When Jesse's great offspring comes, the Spirit's holy presence will, will mark his life. Jesus won't live according to the sinfulness and selfishness of the human spirit. The coming King will stand apart. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon Him. And the Spirit will give him everything that he needs to be a good and faithful king. What kind of spirit? Let's look at these. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Verse 2. Scripture calls a person wise whose life is lived in a constant communion with God. As you continue to walk in his ways, you become wise. A wise person can make the right decision at the right time, because he is always thinking about how the Lord would want him to go. Keeping God before you all the way, all the time. You can't study for this kind of wisdom. It's gained by those who truly fear God. One of the ways Christ would be extraordinary is, is through His spirit of understanding. Jesus had a deep insight into people, a, a, a penetrating knowledge of who they really are. And in our life, we're sometimes blessed to have someone who understands us. And I trust you have a good friend that does that. He gets you or she gets you and understands where you're at. 
And that should be a huge blessing, which makes Christ's ability so amazing. John writes in his gospel that Jesus knew what was in a person. (laughs) He can see into the deepest places of every person. He knows you inside and out. This makes him an effective king and a great savior. To make good judgments, kings need this ability. To see through the facade that people put up. Those walls that people erect between other people. And to discern what motivates and moves those people. Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of insight for your kids? Don't you wish you had that, parents? Be able to have that insight as they were growing up, to help them and find out what what is it that they need to motivate them and move them forward. The son of David has this understanding, which in turn gives him a true compassion for us. He gets us. He knows us. He knows how, how sinners struggle how we are tempted, and how we need constant help. And when you ask Him, He gives help. (laughs) There's also the Spirit to rest upon Him that will be the Spirit of counsel and power. The word for counsel describes plans and decisions, kind of like the plans that you and I might make at the start of every week. You look at your calendar and you see what's going on and how your schedule is going to work out throughout that that week. Sometimes our plans work out, but so often they need to be revised or maybe even canceled altogether. But the coming king will will also be blessed with power, having the strength to always carry out all his decisions. Christ's counsel will not fail, but he'll accomplish all that he purposes to do, to save his people and to glorify his Father in heaven. And then, On him will also rest the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And those two run pretty close together. When we revere God's holiness and God's glory, when we fear His name, He gives the knowledge of how to live, how to find our way through this world. Fearing fearing God is the key to a good life. It's also the key to good leadership as well. Israel's history showed that way too many kings ruled without a fear of God. World history also shows the same thing. The top desire of kings and presidents is usually most often not to please the Lord, but their focus on increasing their power and accumulating wealth. This kind of focus results in lying, in corruption, and also war to gain this power and wealth. It it leads nowhere good. But the new king will bring so much good to his believers. And of course, it's no secret that Jesus is the promised son, the branch who grew from Jesse's roots. For instance, when his coming was announced to Mary, the angel said, God will give him the throne of his father, David. Then it was no accident that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And during his ministry, people often cried out to him, Jesus, son of David, Have mercy. So we're not surprised when Scripture says that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. You remember possibly back his baptism in Scripture when the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And then there's 
what Jesus said in His very first sermon in the synagogue of Nazareth. He quoted from Isaiah 61, and He said, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon Me because He has anointed Me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives." God's Spirit was upon Him. And the Spirit would give Christ every necessary quality for faithful ministry, wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And in the Spirit's mighty power, Jesus preached and He obeyed and He suffered and He was faithful even to, de even to death. And one of the Lord's greatest mercies is that we are allowed to share in His Spirit as well. This fact should never cease to amaze us. The same Spirit who filled Jesus now fills us. And it would just take a few moments to, <laughs> to think about that, just that fact. The Spirit of the Lord enters us with, with mighty power and speaks to us as a wise counselor, and we need His presence every day. For guidance. We need His presence because there, there are things that God is calling you to do. And He gave Jesus a calling to be Savior and King, but God gives you a calling as well. And your calling is in the place wherever God has put you today. Wherever He has you. It's in the relationships you have. It's the responsibilities and the duties you have. Not only today, but also the coming week. Here and now is where He desires your service. I think uh, it was mentioned in the Bible discussion this morning. We need to be fat, faithful and available and teachable, ready to go. Whatever God wants us to do, wherever He has us to go. Faithful, available and teachable. And sometimes though we feel God must be asking too much of us. Why, God, would you bring this uneducated, non-seminary type of youth pastor to come over to a church and be the senior pastor here at the church? What, God, are you, are you sure you got the right person? We might think he's asking too much of us. <laughs> this is too hard, God. Please, find someone else. We go into a Moses mode. <laughs> Use someone else. I can't speak very well. I can't surrender. I can't forgive. Don't ask me to forgive this person, Lord. It's not going to happen. It can't. I can't trust anymore. I've been hurt too many times. I've trusted too many people. I can't do it again. But God delights to give good gifts to His children. So you ask for the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and power, and He will help you. You ask God, and He will help, just as He helped Jesus so that He could be our glorious King. So this is the spirit who fills Jesus. Let me give you another thought in this portion of Scripture. The righteousness, let's look at the righteousness by which He judges. You can summarize the reign of Jesus in just one word, righteousness. And this is being right and doing right in the eyes of God. When the root of Jesse takes the throne, it'll be clear whose will he desires to do. In the first place, in verse 3, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. 
Earthly rulers take delight in many things. They are happy when the economy is strong and when the polls are in their favor. They are in good moods. But Jesus has a different priority. He delights in the fear of God. Think about that for a moment. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, finds joy in a person who loves the Lord. And if you fear God, He delights in you. And it's good to look at ourselves the way God looks at us. We can feel badly about the sin and failing in, in, in our life. And it's right that we do. We need to have that remorse. That, that's biblical. But remember that God delights in you. If you're battling and striving every day, running up against all the, the thorns of life, but still seeking God for your strength, loving God and, and, and holding God in high respect, He delights in you. Jesus is a king who cherishes those who trust in Him, and He's a king who judges by truth. In verse 3, it says, He will not judge by what He sees with His eyes. <clears throat> On the last day, when people come to Him for judgment, Jesus will go by what is right. Did they fear God? They keep His commands. And it's interesting that Isaiah says that Jesus will, what Jesus will not do, judge by what He sees with His eyes. Also known as judging a book by its cover, right? <clears throat> That's how we often judge. We look at we look at image, and if someone presents well, they have nice clothing, they, they have good hair, overall attractive uh, appearance, we favor them. We feel good about a person who looks good, even if they don't care about God. As Samuel said, people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This makes for a good king. <clears throat> Jesus isn't biased against people and won't be influenced by things he's heard about a person, not deciding by what he hears with his ears, as verse 3 says. Again, for us, when we hear of a person's bad reputation, it causes us to reject them or have a, a, a skewed idea of them. And so we write people off. We dismiss them already. But Jesus treats everyone righteously. Verse 4, with righteousness he shall judge the needy. He's always guided by what is right. And did you notice how Isaiah mentions that the needy are judged there in, in that verse? <clears throat> verse 4, it's because these are the people who are always at a disadvantage. If you're poor, you just can't compete with the rich. And the rich have influence. And in Isaiah's time, the rich gave bribes. No one cared for the poor. Why advocate for, uh, advocate for someone who can't bring you any benefit? What am I going to get out of this if I help you? Why speak up for the silent? But the root of Jesse will do this. As king and judge, he'll be completely fair to a person, whether they're rich or poor. With justice, it says in verse 4, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. <clears throat> to execute justice perfectly, you need to have perfect knowledge. Good luck with that. 
People can do all the right things, but all, for all the wrong reasons, and they're still guilty. But Jesus has a knowledge of hearts, our motives, and our desires, so He can do justice. Justice is a big concern these days. We want justice. People want justice. People want to put right the wrong done in the past and possibly overthrow society to bring about that change. And that kind of justice quickly takes on a focus of punishment. It's often mixed in with anger and some envy and and bitterness. It's actually no different for us. We hate to see people getting away with bad behavior, don't we? We want people to get what they deserve. (laughs) How many times have you driven down I-205 or somewhere else and you see that idiot driver that if only a policeman was here, that guy would be taken care of, should be taken care of. And so people for social justice cry out against oppression and inequality. At the same time, we cry out against the wicked who seem to thrive. And we ask, how long, Lord? (laughs) How long is this going to go on? We think it's just wrong when people get away with breaking the rules. Reading and watching the news every day can become an exercise in frustration. (laughs) It's wrong when the godless don't have to answer for what they're doing. We crave justice, but we don't always see it. So it's a big comfort to have a righteous king. Because one day Jesus will judge rightly and reward graciously and punish fairly. Verse 4 says, He will strike the earth with the rod of His mouth, With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. It's a picture of someone with so much power that he simply has to speak. With just a breath, Jesus will wipe out those who oppose him, no matter who they are. When we see the world in crisis and our culture under the control of godless people, God reminds us that the wicked cannot escape. Even if they are seemingly able to do whatever they please, Jesus can shatter all who oppose Him. We know that this will happen because the uh, righteousness runs deep with God. Verse 5 says about Jesus, righteousness will be His belt and faithfulness, the sash around His waist. The Hebrew words for belt in that verse there describe the most intimate garments a person would wear, garments right on the skin. So when you strip everything away from a person, what do you find? It's that person's truest character. It's it's who they are when no one else is watching. For Jesus, it's righteousness and faithfulness. He remains true in everything, in every promise, in every judgment. So He's the kind of King we can trust fully. And And we can listen to always. He won't lie. He won't won't fail. For righteousness is His belt. Now, after all this, we still get nervous about the idea of Jesus as judge. Being called before the all-knowing King on the last day is pretty daunting. Jesus judges with perfect insights, penetrating, peeling back all the layers of our heart. He knows us in the secret place, and He calls us to account. And if we we have hidden sins in our life today, a habit that brings us shame, 
an ugliness we've, we've carefully hidden, then this is a strong motive to confess and to repent, <laughs> to get right with God. For confessing to Christ is safe and it's good. This righteous judge won't hold sins against us, but he'll forgive. And that's the great thing. The sinless one became sin for us. The righteous one was made thoroughly unrighteous. When we have, when we have a true and living faith in Christ, He looks on us with mercy and He forgives. And when we've been forgiven, this has a huge effect on our life. One effect is how we treat others. We tend to judge people, but not necessarily in righteousness. <laughs> we judge according to what we see. What we hear, we fail to be generous and forgiving, sometimes even towards church family, but often toward non-believers, those around us, maybe those that we really don't know. But don't forget the mercy that you received from Christ. Show the same compassion and treat others with equity as well. Then you'll enjoy true peace. In that, which brings us to the third and last thought about all this. Look at the peace that he brings. So how, how deep does sin go? How far does the brokenness extend? Sin goes much further than our personal failures to keep God's law and, and further than sin's damage to our marriages and friendships and church life and those relationships. Romans 8 says that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. It goes further than, than us. Everything has been ruined by, by mankind's unrighteousness. And that means that the righteous king has a lot to put right. This is what we see in the last part of our, our, our text here. It's a scene that, that recalls the ideal setting of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. When everything was very good when there was perfect peace. The root of Jesse will unite and heal everything that has been broken and separated. And this rest restoration is captured in a whole series of symbols of aggression and helplessness, violence and peace, now living together in harmony, in the harmony that Jesus gives. Look in verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb. Really? That's interesting. And here are two enemies, one a hunter, the other the hunted, one strong and ferocious, the other meek and helpless. Can you imagine a wolf getting comfortable next to a lamb? <laughs> He's licking his chops, saying that's pretty tasty. But now they're at peace. The wolf is a lamb's guest. In the same way, we see the leopard and, and the young goat in verse 6 lying down together. The predator and the prey having a little sleepover. Or the calf and the lion and the, and the yearling together in verse 6. Now that's an unlikely trio. <laughs> a tame animal, a killer, and a beast of burden. Now they are the best of friends. This will be the peace among the animals that a little child can step in and lead them, as verse 6 says. Humans have domesticated a, a few animals over the centuries. But uh, sometimes they still let us know that they're animals and we should stand back. 
If you ever saw, have seen two dogs fighting at each other, domesticated, very nice, and they start fighting with each other, don't get in between them. That would be bad. <laughs> you might lose a finger. You might at least get, get some blood drawn by some bites or whatever. Isaiah sees a time when even a young child will step in among animals who used to be at each other's throats. A little child shall lead them, for the most ferocious will become calm. Anyone here fear snakes? <laughs> it's one of the most ancient human fears. I think probably spiders could be put into there too. But God's peace through Jesus will be so great that the infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. I don't know these days, but I think DHS would be called really quick if that was going on. Someone's home. But no, no more fear. No more threat. No more venom. And we're given a glimpse of this in Revelation chapter 21, where John sees a new heaven and a new earth. And it's a place where brokenness is banished. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying, and no more pain incredible place. And not just among the animals, but also among the humans. <laughs> they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, Isaiah says in verse 9. Christ, the glorious King, the, the Prince of Peace, will bring an end to all the hostility and all the malice we see in the world today. Won't that be an interesting sight? No more wars, refugees, no more angry arguing and violent protesting. No more godless rebellion. No more divorce. No more funerals. No more cancer. For his place of rest will be glorious, as it says in verse 10. And when Jesus returns, he'll bring his peace to a perfect wholeness. Verse 10 says, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. In the ancient world, a king would lift a banner in order to bring people together. When they saw the banner, they knew they were being called for battle or, or called to hear some good news. They gathered. Jesus Himself is the banner. He is the rallying point. For it is Christ alone who can unite people and bring them together in peace. Looking at how broken the world is today, it seems... Impossible. You look at it and you go, how? <laughs> how can this happen? But in small but powerful ways, we're allowed to experience His peace already. When you believe in Jesus, you have peace with God because He has forgiven you. When you follow Christ, you have the motivation for living at peace with all the people around you. You are compelled and when you know the Lord, you can face an uncertain future with a very certain peace because you know His promise. Jesus shared this with His disciples in John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So the end result of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is deep and lasting peace. And it's unlike worldly peace, which is usually defined as the absence of conflict. And you probably are, you know, how you pray for 
wars to end. Bring peace. Remove conflict. And that's fine. That's great. But this peace is confident assurance in any circumstance, whether there's conflict or not. It's just a peace that you have. With Christ's peace, we, we have no need to fear the present or the future. If your life is full of stress, allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with Christ's peace. Filling you with that type of peace. The kind that transcends all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you're having a bad day? Maybe you're having a bad week. <laughs> maybe, maybe your year has been kind of bad. Don't give up hope. Be of good courage. Know that this world and its desires are passing away. But whoever does the will of God will live forever. Grab onto the peace that Christ offers. Embrace that during these times of uncertainty. And when you do that, you're able to move forward step by step, following your Savior, bringing hope to those around you, letting them know why you have such a peace in your heart and your life, what's going on. You can let them know. But Christ will bring that to you. And in this broken world, hope can shine. And it's going to shine because of you, allowing Christ to shine through you to reach others around you. So many people are looking for peace. So many people are looking for harmony. <laughs> We've got the answer. <laughs> Let them know about it. Let them see it. We're going to have the worship team come on up. They're going to lead us in the next couple songs. That peace is connected with God's love and His love for you. And He wants you to have that peace. If you don't know that kind of peace, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, then today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the opportunity to know that peace in a personal way. Maybe you've heard about it, but you never experienced it. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you today about those things. O obey. <laughs> Be obedient to what He has for you. If He's prompting you to say, you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you should. If you do trust Jesus as your Savior, but you still worry and you have all this anxiety, then maybe you should trust Jesus <laughs> for the peace He can bring you through those uncertain times in your life. To cling to that hope you can have. However the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, act in obedience and walk in that light that He's providing for you today.